Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. Give us an overview. I did it to myself again. Tell me about this. Overview. Well, it's based on um, the Life Between Lives work that was uh, started by Dr. Michael Newton. Okay, um, he's one of the best. Right, went in my own practice as a past life therapist over the years. Um, I noticed that people were blaming uh, everyone and anything for the way their life was going. So it was like, it's my mother's fault, it's my father's fault, it's my husband's fault, whatever. And I knew that they had actually designed this life um, so that it could be um, uh, helping their soul to grow, to deal with some issues from the past. So I wanted to redirect their thinking from blaming others to embracing life as a means of soul's growth. And then I also wanted to look at the material that was already out there, to look at, really study Dr. Newton's work, and to challenge or confirm or build on that prior research and then compare it with the Casey teachings to see if they were in alignment. And then the third reason was to explore um, the common afterlife experiences of souls, because I thought if you get a, if you get a group of people together who don't know each other, and they're all saying similar things to what is it like to die, what does the afterlife look like, what is the experience between lifetimes, um, it would ease the fear of death on the part of those that are still on the physical plane. So those were the um, the reasons that I I pursued the uh, the study. And tell me about the study itself. How did you set it up? Well, luckily, I have a lot of people that are willing to volunteer for my research studies. Um, that, that helps. Yes, I I call them from the uh, obviously from the the ARE uh, folks uh, who love to do this sort of thing, and also from the. Um, the like-minded souls that I know at Unity of Charlottesville Church. So I put it out there that I was doing this this uh, research study, and uh, I had uh, I limited it to 25 people because uh, in the past I've done, I think the last time I was with you I was talking about karma can be a real pain, which was a research study about how chronic illness can be traced to a past life. Right. And right. I had 50 people in that study, and the publisher said, I can't possibly publish all of this. So um, so I decided, well, I'm not going to go through the, having the process of eliminating people, so I'll just stick with 25 and then augment that with uh, actual uh, client transcripts from prior to the research project. So I had 23 women and two men in it, which is unusual. I usually get more men, but for some reason they shied away from this project, but the women were all happy to do it. Um, the average age was 62. They came from all professions. I had a social worker, educators, I had a lawyer, I had a flight attendant, um, and uh, marketing people, so all, all sorts of people. So we started with a past life regression to go to the life that was most impacting them now, and then from there we went into the between life state. And were you satisfied with the results? I was very satisfied with the results. I was absolutely humbled by it and blown away by it because they were seeing basically the same thing. And, and it, it, um, they had a lot of aha moments when they were able to uh-huh. tie the, that past life that was impacting them now uh, with what was actually going on in their life now. They could see how they actually planned this out themselves. Everything from selecting their parents to members of their soul family to their soul's mission to why they chose the body they're in now. 
um, all of this information came through that they didn't have before, and it was a, a missing piece of the puzzle as to why their life was the way that it is now. And with most of the people, the participants in, in this study, w- were they believers in the afterlife prior to these episodes? Um, they were. Um, if they had a specific religious belief, they didn't share that with me. Actually, that never even came up. Um, I had nobody use the word heaven or, or hell. They had no um, uh, really uh, concept of, they didn't talk about God or um, St. Peter meeting them at the pearly gates or or anything that you would think would come up. Um, none of that did. So they they had had regressions before. So they had a sense of the continuity of life and that the soul, uh, ex- you know, continues to exist after death. So they, they had that understanding, but they had not really explored what goes on in that planning session, in that between-life state. Well, it's an amazing research project. And how about yourself? Did, were you always a believer in life after death? Um, I was, but I was born and raised Catholic, so my view of it was a little different than what I believe today. Uh, and I went to 12 years of Catholic school, too. So oh, boy. I really was indoctrinated <laughs> in it. Um, but it didn't make any sense to me, to be honest with you. Um, I thought, how can a just God, you know, only give you one chance? And if you really screw up, and, and you know, you go straight to hell. I remember as a, as a, a, a in elementary school, um, I was terrified because at that time on Fridays we couldn't eat meat, and on fr- and when if you did, that was considered a mortal sin, and, and if you died without confessing that, you'd go straight to hell, and that just stayed with me, and um, and I thought this doesn't make any sense. I don't understand how a loving God could be like this. So when I was a teenager, I started reading books. Um, I, I read The Search for Bridie Murphy. That was the first book that I read. That came out in the fifties. I think I read it when I was somewhere in the sometime in the sixties. That's how early. It yeah, was. that was a classic. Yeah, and then um, started reading books by Jess Stern and Ruth Montgomery. Found out about Edgar Casey, and um, it all started to make a lot more sense for me. Um, but then I, you know, got married and had a family, and pretty much forgot about that esoteric journey I was on. Uh, until Shirley MacLaine came out in 1987 with her miniseries Out on a Limb. And uh, that was my big wake-up call, and I've been doing this work ever since. Why was it so important for you when you were putting together this study to combine life between live sessions and things like that? Well, um, I felt that uh, this would give people an understanding of the way that um, that their life was was working. Um, I saw. I, I use the analogy of Earth being a school, and I wanted to help people to understand what courses they t- they're, they're completing now, and what courses that they still need to take. Um, so I wanted to explore the significant event of a past life that was most impacting them now, um, and then to look at the origin of karmic issues, what created them who were involved with them, why they weren't resolved, and then to revisit the death experience and understand that was a transition with the soul passing through what Edgar Casey called God's other door. 
So um, I, I just wanted people to take uh, responsibility and accountability for their lives um, and to stop blaming others and, and circumstances and understand, you know, I designed this life so that I would experience this in order for me to resolve it or overcome it or heal it and so that I can let that go and I can move on. And um, and I do believe that it did accomplish that. In the study that you did, Joanne, you asked an interesting question about what were they thinking at the moment of death, and how did most of them respond? They all responded with, um, with very powerful thoughts uh, that were both positive and negative, uh, because they were experiencing both positive and negative emotions when they were leaving the earth. Um, but powerful thoughts like fear and regret, um, those became the foundation of their next life. So some of the more common um, uh, answers to that question, what are your last thoughts? I wanted to see if they, if they were holding on to any resentments or any unfinished business from that life that was just ending because those would be brought into this life. So a lot of them said, you know, I should have loved more. I should have done more, I abused opportunities, I wasn't kind enough, I didn't accomplish anything, I need to make retribution. Um, those are just some of the common comments that people would make when they examined that life they were finishing, and then they were bringing those thoughts into uh, into their pre-life session, um, and then many times that served as the foundation for the the next life. I had one woman who, um, I think I told the story once before about she had had to tow psoriasis, and she wanted to know the source of it, and took her back to a life in the old west where she was a call girl, and I asked her what were your last thoughts upon dying, and she said I don't want to be touched anymore. Huh. And so in this life she manifests a skin condition in which nobody wants to touch her. So um, so there's a, a correlation often between what you're last thoughts are with what you're dealing with in, in the current lifetime. I'm fascinated, too, by some of the last words of people who are going through the actual dying process. Mm -hmm. And Steve Jobs from uh, Apple uh, Computer and uh, Apple Phones, uh, his was, oh, wow, oh, wow. Frank Sinatra's was, I'm losing. Uh, Sam Keniston, who got killed in a car crash uh, between L.A. and Vegas, um, kind of like was afraid of dying while he was dying there in his car accident. Uh, but then he said, okay, okay, you know, something like that. Yeah, yeah, it, there was that understanding of what's what's next. What do you what's think next. they see? I think that they, it's not so much what they see, but what they feel. Because when I've asked people, what does it feel like to die? They all say that they're fully conscious at that moment, and they have a tremendous sense of freedom and release and relief. And so, um, and they see that it's really a gentle and painless process. Um, you know, they can move around freely uh, afterwards. They sort of leave the scene immediately. Uh, most of them do. Um, and even those who have a traumatic death, uh, say that they leave their body before the body actually dies. So they don't experience, um, if it's a painful death, they don't experience that. Um, so um, I think that they see that it's not nearly as, um, it's actually a welcoming uh, experience for most of them. Joanne, could all of us be wrong about the other side? <laughs> 
and that it just doesn't exist. It's just something in the quirk of the brain during the dying process creates that burst of light or whatever people think they see. Is that conceivable? I, you know, I've thought about that, George. I, I, I thought that that was truly the case and, until I worked with these people because I didn't have any of them say, I don't see anything. There is nothing there. You know, and they certainly had the the freedom to say that to me because I kept it pretty open ended. You know, I said, if you don't see anything, tell me. I want, I just really want to know what you're what you're seeing and experiencing. And every single one of them, you know, had had something to say. They were they were going through a process of some sort. Um, and the fact that so many of them were identifying the, the exact same experience really gave me the hope that. That if it's if it's happening for them, that it's going to happen for me too, and everybody else. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern, and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.